Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Amen. You may be seated. Look to the person next to you say, man, I prayed all week. I'd sit next to you. And then look to the guy on the other side and say, I'm glad you're here too. It's great to have you here this morning. We're going to finish up, uh, Lord willing, today our series entitled Impact. And uh, everybody look at somebody and say, Impact. See, we don't want to just make an impression. We want to make an impact. Remember, we started several weeks ago talking about that, that we don't want to just have an outward display. We want an inner difference. We want to change the world forever. We don't want to just make some noise. We just, though making noise sometimes a good thing, we just want to make sure that what we do perpetuates. We want to make sure that what we do is self-perpetuating, kind of like a Rolex. You don't have to keep winding it up. It just by default continues to do what it's supposed to do. And I I want to encourage you today that God has called each one of you to make an impact, not just to come to church, not just to be a spectator, but to be a participator, to get off the bench, kind of the thing where, how many of you remember sitting on the bench in a baseball game or a football game or anything like that? Anybody ever been a bench sitter? Anybody ever sat on the bench beside me? You're making me feel bad. Come on. Did you ever walk up to the coach and tug on his shirt and say, coach, put me in? Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever had him look at you and say, just sit down, boy, you're no good. You know, okay. (laughs) All right. Don't judge. All right. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to read 12 verses this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about pioneering to make an impact. Pioneering to make an impact. The truth is that, as we saw last week in the context of the feeding of the 5,000, that God, Jesus, used the agents of disciples to do his bidding. The Bible says we, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, are the body of Christ. Each of us has a part, a very important part that we play and extending a hand of love, grace, mercy to a lost and dying world. How many of you know that this morning? I hope you do. Because listen, the reality is, is Jesus does not need you and I, but he will use us to write his great story, the story, story of redemption, the story of hope, the story of breaking things away and falling down. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. And can I tell you something? I have been privy to seeing some powerful things happen as people are set free. And you have too. Why? Because we get involved. We become a party to it. As we look into the understanding of this passage of Scripture, I think it's important for us to realize that we can't complicate the gospel message. We can't complicate the impact that we're going to have. In other words, sometimes we look out at the world, 6.2 billion people, maybe there's more now, and we go, well, there's three-quarters of those that don't know Jesus. Maybe they know him, but they're not living for him. They're not saved. I mean, that literally, guys, three-quarters of the world is going to die being separated forever from God. Why? Because they've not accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ, the finished work on the cross. And sometimes that's overwhelming. As we look into this great city in which we live, we see some 20-something thousand people that are not in church this morning somewhere. Listen, if they don't come here, I want them to go somewhere. I want them to get plugged in. I want them to get invested. I want to see them step up and get in the game. And the reality is, is that's what I believe God has called us to do at Northridge Church, is to have an impact. That's why we go door to door. That's why we do taking it to the streets. That's why we do those things. Why? Because we can't just sit back and think for one second that Jesus died for a building. He didn't die for a building, guys. That's not the church. He died for the body of Christ who is to go out and to be a catalyst of change, to be motivators of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to tell people that Jesus loves them. Because I'm going to tell you, that's the one thing that I think the world needs to hear. 
Now, when it comes to preaching the gospel, I have a responsibility and a duty, and as does David and any other preacher in this room or teacher, we have to preach the whole counsel of God. There's no question about it. Grace and preaching grace is a great thing, and it's something we, we truly embrace that because it feels good even to our flesh to know that it's by grace through faith that we're saved. It's not anything we could do. It's the gift of God lest any man should boast. But I want you to understand something this morning, guys. We have to read Ezekiel 33. We have to read the Gospels. We have to hear the words of Jesus as we look in, even to, to the Gospel of John and the love and all of these things. But we also have to look to Revelation and realize that there's coming a defining moment, a day where every single knee shall bow. And listen, my friend, they'll bow in one of two ways. Either washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, saved, forever sanctified, and seated already in heavenly places, or they will walk up to him and listen to me. Hear these words. He will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And then there's no pleading. Guys, we got to preach the whole council. That's where you and I come in. Here's what I believe to be true, though. To be a true pioneer for impact, we got to start in our home. We got to connect with our children. We got to connect with our spouse. We got to connect with everything we do in our job, in our schools, in our community. We are never going to shake the planet until we can first shake this city. And I believe with all of my heart that's what God's called us to do. The Apostle Paul talks several times about two, what we call the twin commands. Parents, you're to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is your calling. Let me tell you something. Your job is secondary to that. Your, your world, your golf game, your hunting, your, whatever it is, it's secondary to that. We have a duty and a responsibility, and I might add a privilege, to raise our children in the understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, what the Holy Spirit can do in their life. And guess what? I want to say this out loud. As a culture today, we as a mass culture are failing in that area. In fact... One of the pivotal points of my life came in 1999. Many of you know it. I'm not going to get into all the details of it. But in 1999, my family was attacked. Our home was hit with every force that Satan had to throw at us. But it was also a defining moment in my life through my son, Tyler, who today is 24. Is that right, 24? 24 years old. He's getting old. He's got a baby. I don't keep up with birthdays anymore. August the 20th, 1999. Tyler was with me, and we went to an Atlanta Braves baseball game because that's what daddies and sons do. And I look at my life during that time and leading up to it, and I just want to say this out loud to be transparent, fully vulnerable before you this morning. I was not at that moment the dad that God had called me to be. I had, listen, I had done some things with the kids. I had played. I had even prayed with them from time to time. But I knew that I knew that I knew that I was not doing everything that God had called me to do as a father. But guess what? I wanted to now step up and to redeem the time and to be a different kind of daddy, and I started doing that. I want you to know something, Mom and Dad. You might have failed miserably from this point backwards, but can I tell you, it's never too late to step up and do the right thing. August 20th, 1999, Tyler and I made our way to the stadium, and our seats were kind of over the left field side, and we kind of eased over. It was an afternoon game. There wasn't a lot going on, so we got center field, and, and kind of, he's like, Daddy, going to catch me a ball. He was nine years old, and we were like, man, it was awesome, just me and him. We spent like, I think we spent like $400 on hot dogs. It was awesome. We were just throwing money at you want something, you want a hat, you want this, man, that's all, because just me and Tyler, just dad and son. And I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, God, just, I did, I prayed that, God, just let me catch a home run ball. If you just let me catch a home, home run ball, man, this will be awesome. My son's going to go home and go, my daddy's going, Hercules. You know, it was awesome. I'd already ran it through my mind. Kid you not, I'm standing there. Gerald Williams came up to bat. 
And he swung away, first pitch. And it's like there was not a person besides me and Tyler in that entire stadium. And I went deep. Actually, I didn't hit right to me. I literally did not have to move left or right. I just went, pop, and I caught it. I barehanded it. No, I didn't keep it. It popped up, landed on the ground. Two little kids come over. I boom, kicked them in the face. You know, I'm kidding. I did not. I did not. I did not. Well, maybe a little. But anyway, and I got the ball. You know how it just, it just rolls to that perfect place underneath the seat? Man, I'm going. I'm low crawling under the seat. And I grabbed the ball. I've never caught another home run ball since then. That's the only one I've ever caught. And I caught that ball. Gerald Williams. I love Gerald Williams. A great player. And I was pumped. Now look, look what your daddy got, son. My hand's like bleeding. But I was a dad that day that, man, it was awesome. That's all I needed to do. That, that kind of restored dad in a little nine-year-old's uh, mind. So anyway, I'm already thinking, I'm processing, the game's going on, I'm like going, I caught a ball. Nothing else has to happen. Braves, I don't care if you win, lose, it doesn't matter, I caught a ball. And I sit, looked at him, came up to the, to the stretch, you know, in the seventh inning, and I, I, we stood up, I said, I tell you what we'll do. We're going <laughs> to, still tears me up. We're going <laughs> to, this is kind of the baby moment, y'all bear with me. I said, we're going to go down to whatever that road is on the side. I said, we're going to watch those players as they come out there. I'm going to get you right in front of Jerry Williams, and I'm going to get him to sign this ball because I'm dad and I caught a home run ball. He looked up at me. Kid you not. He said, Dad, I want you to sign it. I know. That's what I said as I'm weeping, as I'm crying. I said, what, what do you mean you want me to sign it? He said, I want you to say who hit it. And I want you to put the date on it. And I want you to sign it. A little inscription. <laughs> this is awesome. I know what I'm going to say. Y'all don't have a clue. Dad caught this ball. <laughs> That's real original, isn't it? Uh, I guess I was a little overwhelmed. Hit by Gerald Williams, Braves versus Padres, August 20th, 1999. And I found this the other day. I had no clue where that ball had gone. But I found that. But let me, let me, hear, let me say this. This is not about dad is great, give us some chocolate cake. This is not about that. This is a moment where I felt I had failed as a dad, but my son still saw me as his hero. Dads, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how far you have gone. You step back up into a right standing with the Lord and you be the dad that God has called you to be. Mamas, I don't care how far you've gone. You might have failed miserably in so many ways, but I'm going to tell you something. God is the restorer of my soul. He can do it in the most unorthodox manners that will blow your mind. Even in the catching of a baseball that told me that day that my son at nine years old still looked to me as the one who could fix everything, the one who hung the moon, the one who was his hero. And I'm going to tell you something. I took that that day and I internalize it and I said from this day forward I know there's a little boy walking behind me there's a little girl that one day daddies if you have little girls listen to me the way you treat their mom the way you respect or lack of their mom is what she's going to grow up and look for one day that was hard for me to internalize because we have a duty and a responsibility to impact the world but let me say to you it starts in our home if you have your Bibles I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read these verses. I'm reading from the NIV today. The sermon that I wrote, it, 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 I use these verses because I think it really clearly paints a great picture. 
So I want to go there with you today. In verse 1 it says, These are the commands, the decrees, the laws of our Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Underline that in your Bible because God has not just made some vague, empty promises. His promises are yes and amen in Him. And what He's told you you have, what He's told you you can be, it's already settled in heaven. All you got to do is walk up and possess it. Look at verse 2 with me. So that you, listen, your children and their children after them, they may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Now keep in mind, this is the fifth book of the Pentateuch, the fifth book of the law, but understand the parallel here. He's not telling you and I that we have to keep the law according to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. There were 607, 613 laws, thou shalt and thou shalt not. That is not what he's referring to here. We live today in the dispensation of grace, and he's saying take the word of God and live by it, own it, internalize it, and let it be the outflow of your life as you raise your children as your husband or wife to your spouse. And he's saying that's what you need to hold on to. In verse 3, he says, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And watch this, and that you might increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, which is a true picture of full fellowship with God, not just a geographic location uh, in Jericho. Watch what he says. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord's your God. The Lord is one. Watch this. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today and they're to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. The word impress there is not the same context that we've been using in the sermon. It literally means to push upon them. It means to teach them by way of an example. And it says impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord God brings you, listen to this, how this tense is written. This is saying it is a settled issue to the children of Israel. And I say that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he's saying to them is what he's saying to us today. Watch what he says. Watch the tense. He's already saying it's a done deal. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Watch this. Then when you eat and you are satisfied, be careful. Here's the crescendo verse, verse 12. Don't miss this. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord, the one who brought you out of Egypt, and out of a land of slavery. Don't forget, he's the one who brought you out of bondage. Galatians 1, before we pray, says to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. How many of you are a child of the Most High God today? You're going to heaven when you die. Then stop stepping back in the same stinking bondage situations in your life. Because he's already set you free. All you got to do now is possess it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today that you hold above your own name. I pray, God, today that you'd help me to rightly divide it. Help me, God, to apply it and help us as a church to go out and live it. Today we give you the honor, the praise, and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. There's a story, there's a book that was written several years ago about two men in the 18th century, men that had diametrically opposed lifestyles. One, of course, was a man named Max Juke. 
Max Juke was a man who was a womanizer. He was a, a profiteer. He was a moonshiner. He was a man that could just make his way where there was no way. He lived in the backwoods. He lived in the parts of New York City where, in upstate New York, where he just was a, he was a, a, a stiller. He was uh, all these things that he did. His wife was a prostitute. And then there's another man named Jonathan Edwards. In the 1700s, these two men both had impacts in their own community. I want to zero in not just on their impacts at large, but what they did in their community. Jonathan Edwards, of course, was a preacher, and probably, according to most historians and theologians, he was probably one of the main catalysts that birthed the Great Awakening in our culture. A man who changed everything with his preaching. He authored only two books. Everything that he did was in real time. He went to the streets. He would preach the word of God. He would go set up in in obscure places and start preaching an open air sermon. People would walk up and give their life to the Lord. And he would look when he was over and he'd say, now take what I've given you and go give it to somebody else. And he was changing the world and the great awakening ushered in in a time of mission work, a time of, of evangelism, things that this world has never seen. And I submit to you today, we need another awakening in our culture. We need another Jonathan Edwards. But I want to give you something that's kind of profound when I begin to read this. As they begin to look and study the descendants of these two men, watch what happened. One lived a life as an atheist, vicariously as if nothing mattered. The other lived his life set apart to a holy God, preaching the gospel. Watch what happens. Of the two, a thousand, I'm sorry, 1,026 descendants of Max Juke, Over 300 were convicts, 27 were murderers, 190 were prostitutes, 509 were either alcoholics or drug addicts. It is estimated that the Jukes family had cost the state of New York almost $1.4 million to house, institutionalize, institutionalize, and treat the family of deviants. All because it started with one man named Max Jew. That's how our impact affects the next generations. But in contrast to that, in stark contrast to that, the 929 descendants of Jonathan Edwards, a man set apart to the things of God, included 13 college professors, 86 college presidents, 430 ministers of the gospel of Christ, 314 war veterans, 75 authors, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 66 physicians, and 80 holders of public office, including three U.S. senators, seven congressmen, mayors of three large cities, governors of three states, a vice president of the United States, and a controller of the United States Treasury. Guys, what we do today in our home, in our community, in our schools, and in our workplace does profoundly have an impact long after you and I have gone. It's time to stand up and pioneer new areas. A pioneer is one who steps into an untapped resource and settles new paradigms, who, who makes relevant new culture standards. It's time to step out of status quo. I don't know if you know this or not, but guys, we've come a long way since 1950. Elvis Presley couldn't stand on the Ed Sullivan show and dance and quote-unquote gyrate his hips. Yet today, you go watch MTV1, MTV2. They're using God's name in vain today on public television. Do you know why? Because we're allowing the world to dictate what's important to us. It's time the church stand up. It's time the church make their voice heard. I'm not talking about picketing. I don't know if you saw this the other day, but a war veteran that was actually killed. In 2009, I believe he was a Marine. I don't remember what state it was. Maybe y'all saw it this week on the news. And at his son's funeral, this man's son's funeral, there was a church. I won't call the church name or the denomination, but there was a church 
who picketed and protested this man's funeral because it was deemed that he was a homosexual. This man's funeral, a guy who died in action for our country and our liberty, for us to have a voice and to still be able to stand up in the greatest nation, I believe, in planet Earth and still be able to have the rights to do the things that these people are doing, like uh, picket and protest. And they stood up and they defamed his name up and down that road, saying that this homosexual had no place in heaven. But more importantly than that, Guys, you and I are called to be a light in a dark place. Hear me. Hear me. I know what the Word of God says about homosexuality. I know what it also says about gluttony. I know what it also says about gossiping and backbiting. I know what it says about not being a testimony and not testifying and sharing the precious hope that's in you. Guess what, guys? We're all on even playing field when we stand at the foot of the cross. We are sinners, and if you're saved, you're saved by the marvelous grace of God. It ain't anything you could do or have done, but watch this. We got to be careful as a church. There's some things that the heels are not worth dying on. You know what I believe? I believe this door, if we're in this building, should be open to every single person out there, regardless of where they are in their life. If they come in here drunk, if they come in here high, if a prostitute walks in off the street and didn't even know where she landed, here's what I believe. There should be some men and women in this house that come alongside of them and say, hey, let me pray with you. Let me stand with you because that's how we're going to change the world. So, Mark, are you saying... It's okay to do this and that and this. Let me tell you, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying this. We may have one opportunity to make an impact in that person's life, and you can categorize some things as taboo, but can I tell you something? God says sin is sin, period. That's all he says. What you think is taboo in our culture, that's between you and the Lord. How about do this? Instead of posting something on Facebook, instead of condemning people, why don't you get on your face before a holy God on their behalf and pray that God would intervene and change them? Now, I'll say this, because I, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but sometimes Thomaston can, can talk. I don't know if y'all know that. I'll go ahead and say this. I'll go ahead and play. My wife hates for me to say this word. She's going to get on to me after service, but I'm, I'm just going to say this. I, I want to play devil's advocate here for just a moment and say this with you. There will be somebody out there who will take that and say, well, Pastor Mark said it's okay to do blah, or Pastor Mark said it's okay to have this in your life. That's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. If I find a man or a woman or a boy and girl that's in sin and I condemn them, shame on me. Shame on them. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that, oh, man, I'm going off on a whole other place. But, but you know what the Bible says? That if I offend one of these little ones, and understand that's not just talking about a child, Bill. That's talking about a young person in Christ. Because there are people that walk through our doors of churches in Upson County, in the state of Georgia, in the world at large, looking for a reason not to come back. Maybe we talk too much about money. Maybe we said too much about adultery. Maybe we said too much about this. Maybe and Let me tell you something. We're giving them reasons not to come back. When all we need to do is when they walk through that door right there, every person on the sound of my voice ought to be a greeter at Northridge Church. You should invite them in, love on them, and watch this. Hey, can I be real with you? There are people in this room today that have contemplated suicide within the last week today in this room. What if you're the only smiling face they've seen all day, all week? What if you're the one through a gesture, through a handshake, or through, I'm a hugger. I have to be careful. But I'm a hugger. I hugged Bill, uh, Bill Deloach one time, and he picked me off my feet. It was really weird. He's a big old, big old dude. I didn't mean anything. I just thought I'd say that. Let, let, me, let me move on real quick. 
The next generation will be impacted, number one, real quickly, by your attitude, by our attitude. There's three attitudes I think we've lost that we need to have back. Attitude is not just a negative thing. We need to have an attitude of fear. That may hit you funny when I say that. But the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Kids don't fear their parents anymore. How many of you that are 35 years of age or under, you were terrified of your daddy when you were coming up? My dad, all he had to do was walk towards his closet where I knew he kept his belt that he called Moo Moo. And he would, he did, and I just thought that was fun. But he could walk back to his room, and I could hear him walking down the hall, and I thought, he's going to get his belt. It is on. And listen, I would just start crying before he, and he'd come back in there and have a talk with me. I was terrified of my daddy. I may remember in school, I had a teacher when I was in, in grade school. If, if, if I did something crazy, which I very rarely did in school, but if I did, she would take my hand, bend it backwards, exposing nerves that are very sensitive, and grab a ruler, thick one. Wow, 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 wow. That's wrong, man, clearly. We need that in the schools. I remember one time a teacher in the fifth grade, I forgot my signed paper and got three licks with a paddle. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's where we need to go, but here's what I do believe. I I think that we need to stand up for teachers so that they can enforce discipline in the classrooms. Our kids are not, our kids don't have a reverence of fear. Listen, I'm not talking about fear like afraid because the Bible says you and I have not been given the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. But understand something. If our kids don't reverence, hear me, if our kids don't reverence a police officer, there is no doubt in my mind they're not going to obey the rules of this land and they're going to end up in jail. Look at what's going on in the world right now, guys. I'm not going to call a city. I'm not going to get in that. Just understand something. The reason things are going on today is because thugs in the street who've not been taught at home will come up to a police officer and say things, and there's no reverence, there's no fear. We need to teach fear in the home again, and I'm talking about a reverence or an awe. The Bible, Jesus said, hey, you need to give to the Caesar what is Caesar. You need to obey the laws of the land. Is there ever a time, Mark, that I shouldn't obey the laws of the land? Oh, yeah, there is, when it contradicts the word of God. Guys, I want you to hear me. We live in a culture today, this is not prophetic, this is just what God has already said. We live in a culture today that they, not only like Madeline O'Hare did in 1960, took prayer and the reading of the Word of God out of a public forum in our school system, but watch this, there's going to be a time where they're going to try to come in here and tell us what we can preach and what we can't preach. Well, guess what, if they do that, I'll start a prison ministry, it's fine, because I'm not going to stop preaching what God has called me to preach according to His Word. Because it doesn't line up just because the law says that if it contradicts this book, guess what? We're going to stand fast. Amen? Secondly, I think there needs to be an attitude of obedience. That's a good word and a word that we don't use enough in our culture. But I'm not talking about just obedient to mom and dad and obedient to the school teachers and the principal and such as that and the police. I'm talking about there needs to be obedience to the word of God. Listen, God has called us to a place of obedience. He says, hey, I don't need your sacrifices. What bulls and goats could not do, Christ did once and for all. You're not not going to put Jesus on the cross again regardless of what people say. That was settled at Calvary. It was done forever. All we got to do now is be obedient to that finished work. 
Come to the house of God. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the matter of some, and even much more as the day approaches. God has called you to do what we're doing. We are the ecclesia. We are the gathering body of Jesus Christ. When we go out here tonight, listen, I, I would love to challenge you right now. For every person under the sound of my voice, plus grab somebody else, maybe they would never enter the doors of a church, but they'll come out to Greatest Generation Park and get a free hot dog. They'll come get a free. We have a 1,000 pints of Dove ice cream. We're going to be eating ice cream for Jesus. Listen, come on out. Bring them out there. We've got to be obedient to the Word of God. Thirdly, where's Big Dave? <laughs> He's sitting on the floor. Expectancy. Don't look at where you are today. Look at where you're expecting God to have you this time next year. Big Dave, and I heard you say this. They go door to door. They invite people to church. They have shared the gospel on the front doorsteps. They've seen people come to the door in their skivvies. They've seen it all. But they're going because they're being obedient to the word of God. There's a reverence and fear in our youth pastor's heart to do what God has called him to do. And when he goes out in a place of expectancy, I've heard him say this. He said, guess what, guys? You're going to get some no's. You're going to get the door slammed in your face. Can I tell you something? Here's what we do erroneously in the church today. Success is not measured based upon me sharing my faith and you responding to it. I will give you a huge big day. This is for me and you if nobody else gets this. If I stand up here and I preach Mark's agenda, it will fall to nothing. It means absolutely nothing. But if I stand up here and preach the Word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit and you don't move and you don't respond and you don't do anything with it, I still stand right before a holy God because I've done my part. The same is true for you. When you go out and share your faith, you may get a 99 no's before you ever get one yes. Obedience and expectancy says this. I'll go to 100 doors. If I have to have 99 slammed in my face, I know there's one coming. I know that if I keep doing this long enough, I'm spitting all over y'all. Y'all getting that? If I get, I'm getting passionate about this because let me tell you something. I will share my faith anytime I know God has called me to do it. I don't care where I am. I've told y'all this before. Don't come up to Walmart and ask me to pray for your mom if you don't right ready to pray right then because we're going to shut it down and pray right there on the spot. And it don't embarrass me. And I hope it don't embarrass you. But when you share your faith, somebody may say, no, I don't want your Jesus. Hey, man, that's cool. Let me pray for you. No, I don't want you to pray for me. Hey, that's cool. I'm going to pray for you anyway. You know, whatever you do. But understand something. If they say no as the band comes, hear me. If they say no, do you know that you have already been counted faithful to a holy God just because you shared it? However, comma, what does an expectancy look like in your life? Here's what I believe. Amy, where are you? Wave your hand at me. You know what I believe? I believe that when we go and bombard heaven's throne on behalf of someone else, I believe God moves on that. But you got to enter into life with a sense of expectancy. I don't know if you know this or not, but Satan can't touch you. Satan can't touch you if you're a child of God. We talk a lot about possession. Can I tell you something? He can't possess you. He is, listen, if you're a child of the Most High God, the book of Job says there's a hedge of protection around you. Satan can't do anything to you that God does not allow him to do. But here's what I do know. He can whisper in my ear. He can, he can hear me say things through the power of my own tongue 
Like you can say, you know, I can say, man, I'm afraid to share my faith. And I say that out loud. Guess what happened? Satan has heard that. And now every time I enter up into a situation where I'm about to share my faith, you know what Satan's going to do? Satan is not going to give me the dirty, ugly stuff. He's just going to do that little subtle whisper. He's going to say, Mark, you're going to look like an idiot if you share your faith. Hey, Mark, what if they ask you what the Pentateuch means and you have no clue? Hey, Mark, what if they, what if they ask you some scripture reference and you don't know? What if you don't understand what Calvinism and election is? What if you don't know the doctrine of demons and angels? What if you don't know those things? That's how he comes against us, guys, with a half-truth. Here's what I say. It don't matter how much I know Satan. I, I talk to him. This may, may, may make a little of you kind of weird feeling, but I talk to Satan. I tell him he's a defeated foe. I tell him that he's a liar. I tell him what the Word of God tells me he is. His days are numbered. James 4, 7 says, draw close unto God and he'll draw close to you. Resist the devil and he'll free from you. flee from you. So I tell him, Satan, get behind me. That's what Jesus told him, didn't he? He quoted the word of God. He said, now Satan, get behind me. But here's what I believe to be true today. If the church lived with an attitude of fear and reverence to a holy God, and if they lived in an attitude of obedience to follow what the Word of God says, you don't have to figure it all out. And you don't have to look through the corridors of time and say, what's that going to be like next year? When we brought Jeremy home from Jamaica, many of you guys have followed that. Jeremy, what's up, dog, me and you? Yeah, word. When we brought him home, we didn't know the end result. I did know this. I knew what God had called me to do at that very moment. And then thirdly, we need to have an attitude of expectancy. Every single night I pray over that young man. This is what I say out loud so he can hear me. God, I know you got a plan for this young man that's bigger than this world has ever seen. I know you're going to pour in his life greatness. God, I'm coming to you with expectation. I'm praying tomorrow he's going to be more obedient. He's going to be more responsive. He's going to learn to read. He's going to read the Bible. He's going to hide it in his heart. He's going to grow up to be whatever you called him to be. But he's not going to just be good at it. He's going to be great at it. All for your honor and your glory. That's what we need to be as a church. And quit half-stepping. Quit just stinking settling for what the world says you are and read this book and realize who God says you are. You're a child of the King. Already seated in heavenly places. Death comes to us all. Difficulty, sickness, because we're living in this thing called flesh. It's a vehicle that we travel, this thing we call life in. You're going to have marital difficulty. There's going to be times where you don't like your spouse, much less love them. There's going to be times where you don't like your kids, you don't want to look. I, I get all that. There's going to be days you go to your job and you feel like, if I have to do this another stinking day, I'm going to lose my mind. Or, we can change our attitude, thus changing what we believe, just thus changing the way we walk. You change the way you think, you'll change the way you walk. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want you to bow your heads with me. God's writing a great story in your life. You're the main character. Many of us have allowed Satan to lie to us and and we're writing this story of frustration and difficulty and hardship and running from pillar to post with no sense of, of pride and hope in our life. 
We think this is the best that it's going to be because we keep doing the same thing, yet all the while expecting a different turnout and result when God is saying, that is insanity. You want a better marriage? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wife, you want, to, you want to be honored by God and you want to be that Proverbs 31. Submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the home, even as Christ, the head of the church. Well, what if he's an idiot, Mark? Well, guess what? God didn't make any concession for that. Just honor him. Young people, listen to me. You want longer days and prosperity? Everybody does. You want to live a long, profitable, prosperous existence? The Bible says, obey and honor your mother and your father. It's the first commandment with promise. Longer days and prosperity should be added unto you. Mamas and daddies, listen, you raise your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You lay down beside them. You lay over them. If they won't do it, you put your hand on them at night after they're asleep. You plead the blood of Jesus over their life. You claim promises over their life. You claim purity over their life. doesn't matter if they've already made 50 mistakes. You claim now a newness in life. If they're not at your house and they've already went to the world, you get with your spouse, your husband, or at this altar, and you lay down and you go and bombard heaven on their behalf, and you watch God do a work. It's going to blow your mind, but enter into it with a sense of expectancy. How many of you today can say, Mark, I'm a child of God. I know that I know that I know. If I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Lift your hand up. Lift your hand up. Some hands could not go up. Today is the day of salvation. You can put your hands down. If you don't know, I want you to know him right now. Right now. I want you to pray with me from your heart to God. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And hey, let me just interject this. If you've got a prayer need right now, you want to come to this altar, you don't have to wait for me to give you a formal invitation. Just come now. It's open. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Amen. People are already coming. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Mark, is it really that simple? Well, God, I hope it is because the Bible says it is. And in 1992, that's exactly what I did. I just said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I failed you. Lord, I'm undone. I'm bankrupt without you. Lord, I ask you to save me. I ask you to forgive me. So I want to pray with you right now from your heart to God. Pray this right now in faith. If you'd like to know him, you'd like to be saved today, you'd like to be a child of God, pray this with me. Say, dear God in heaven, I admit to you that I'm a sinner, that I have failed you. And I want to ask you, Jesus, to come into my life, to forgive me my sin. Help me today, Lord, to live for you all the days of my life. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. If you pray that prayer in faith, I'd like to know it. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Lift your hand right now. Say, yes, Mark, I pray. Hold it up for just a moment. God bless you, sir, and you, ma'am, and you, ma'am. You, sir, in the back. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? Listen to me. I want to ask a tough question, church. Child of God. Are you where you want to be? Simple as that. Are you where you want to be? In your home, in your marriage, in your children, in your job, in your place in the church, in your place in your community. Are you where you want to be today? If you're not, raise your hand right now. Lift it up. Hands going all up over the room. Here's what I want you to do then. There's several people over here to my right, to my left. I want you all to look this way. Here's what I want to challenge you to do, Northridge. There's three groups of people today I'm challenging. One, if you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, right now no debating no thoughts no anything in your life Satan's going to lie to you 
I want you right now to come, right now. Go to the left, to the right, right now. I want y'all to go ahead and start applauding. Come on, clap for him. Encourage him. Come on. If you ask Jesus in your heart, we're going to pray with you. You're not joining the church? Here's the second group of people. If you're not where you need to be, not where you want to be, I want you to.